and welcome to the All About Animals Radio. We are a volunteer-run community radio station dedicated to all animals and those who advocate for them. My name is Nikita Dewan, and today we have Mr. Anand Siva. In addition to being involved in the technology and advertising space, Anand is also deeply passionate about animal welfare and is the executive officer at India Animal Fund. India Animal Fund is a platform that encourages effective giving to animals and engages with several NGOs and high-value donors to offer concrete solutions to animal suffering. I'm so excited to have you here today, Anand. How are you? My pleasure, Nikita. Thank you so much, and I'm doing fine. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining. And I'd just like to hear a bit more about your background and how you got involved in this field of animal welfare. Well, background is I've always been a communications man, spent three decades in mainstream advertising. And uh, like like everyone else, my journey with animals started with the pet dog at home. So uh, I've got Hopes, who's my oldest dog sitting right next to me. And he sort of uh, engineered the journey into understanding animal compassion, animal rights. And it started there. And I think from there on, it's been a journey of no return. Yeah, and you know, right now you're um, one of the executive. You are the ex- executive officer at the India Animal Fund. So, can you just tell us about you know its mission and what kind of work do you do? Mm-hmm. Let me first tell you why we started India Animal Fund, right? Because the mission is sort of uh, comes out of the genesis of the idea, right? Uh, right through the lockdown periods of COVID, a lot of us like-minded people have been discussing about how much uh, money. Money was coming in to help the humans during emergency situations, right? But there was really truckloads of uh, money that was raised through philanthropic donations during the lockdown period and following that. And we realized that not a percentage, a fraction of that came in to support animals, right? And we struggled during those days. And then that's when we said we should change the game and we should create awareness among people about why they need to bring in animal suffering as part of their reckoning. They need to bring it into their radar. And we also need to go after all of, like you said, right, high-value donors and say, you know, we need to divert some of that money to help animals as well. So that's how India Animal Fund was sort of uh, conceptualized, created as a platform, and that's exactly what it does. And we're looking at animal suffering like a with a 360-degree lens, right? There is animal suffering happening at all quarters. It starts with abuse of community animals. It goes on to animals used in labor. It's a shame that even in this era of electric vehicles and uh, mobilized automation, we still employ animals to carry loads and goods and all of that, right? And then it goes on to animals used in labs for testing. And then there is, of course, animals farmed as livestock for food. So abuse is sort of endless all the way from the cat outside your door all the way to the elephant in the forest. So our idea is to identify some of those causes and see how we can make an impact to change and reduce animal suffering. Yeah, and I think I think I find it unique about your organization that you're really looking for effectiveness and those concrete-based solutions in using um, money effectively. And, you know, there are many animal NGOs in India, but I've heard that many of them are, you know, strapped for funds. Why do you think that is? And how does uh, India Animal Fund plan to help with this? See, that's a perpetual problem. And very, very sadly, it's not just the... Uh, way organizations are run or the causes that they pursue, the very ways the fabric of society thinks, right? When it comes to philanthropy, we wouldn't hesitate spending 
quite a ransom on a movie or on a dinner and the moment we realize we're giving it for someone else is when we start thinking you know is this money going to be put to good use is it going into the right hands will they misuse it and so on and so forth so so much of skepticism when donating as against spending and therefore what we realized also is that because animal causes animal suffering is such a blind spot for so many people it's difficult for organizations to go out there and raise money because it actually starts with creating awareness about the work they do and the question that most people ask is why do you even have to do it so it starts there and by the time you get to a stage of convincing them to part with money to help their endeavors it becomes a really really strenuous task which is why we have very little money coming into the hands of ngos and there's also the support right the very fact that there are so many ngos and they struggle actually shows that there is some part of the work that the government is not doing which is about caring for animals otherwise we wouldn't have so many non government organizations so we need to change the thinking we need to make people aware that animal suffering needs to come down animals do suffer and that there is a way of you know finding alternatives to all of this and that it's a collective exercise till we change that mindset organizations will struggle and that's what we are hoping to change right by reaching out to the corporate section of society where they are flushed with funds because there is a mandatory uh, csr spending that they got to do all we are trying to do is make animal suffering a cost that they need to work on and see if we can bring in some of the big bucks into the business yeah definitely i think the lack of funding would also just come back to how you said how we perceive animals as commodities like you know when we use them for labor and we um for food it's so normalized that we don't really um we don't put as much value for animal suffering as we would to um you know ourselves but just having that i think equal consideration is pretty important and you talk about that from a corporate perspective as well and you know many companies are starting to adopt um plant-based alternatives to the meat industry since it's very harmful for the environment and and animals so you have um a project on that so can you just tell us a bit about what are the benefits of a plant-based diet compared to conventional meat health-wise and environmentally oh that's a nice question that's also one that eventually or inevitably leads to some kind of a debate or a controversy or the other mm-hmm. but let's look at it in two ways right first is why should it be better than uh, animal meat is because no animal that is killed today for food has ever been grown naturally they were not they were not born out of a natural process they were not grown in normal conditions they are not given the normal food they are supposed to eat they are not slaughtered at the ideal time that animals are you know eligible to be killed so to speak so there is nothing that is normal about animal consumption anymore they are all based out of industrial farming and you actually equivalent of that is processed food how good can processed food be for you day in and day out like that's the number one condition most people believe that they need to eat meat because there is a high high in calcium high in protein depending on the food that you eat often ignoring or not knowing the fact that there is more than just that that they consume because it takes a lot of chemicals it got a lot of corruptive elements to actually bring that meat to the table they don't realize that right? and that food that they take is not just giving them protein and calcium it's giving them a whole lot of undesired constituents as well and when you take that into plant right the argument invariably has been about pesticides and insecticides and therefore they can't be safe 
the kind of pesticides insecticides that we have on plants and the fact that you can actually do organic farming yourself she eliminates all the undesired results of the meat in the first place and more importantly it's a myth to believe that you can't get all of that nutrients that your body needs from plant based food i mean if if all animals need to eat meat to be strong then we can't have bulls we can't have oxes we can't have elephants we can't have zebras they're all power machines right and the fact that they're able to build that kind of body body mass and energy and strength out of a plant based food is ample proof that we can have alternates in plant and do a better job of it yeah and i think you know i've heard the argument people say you know plant based meat is a natural but like as you said it's about realizing that animals are not grown in normal conditions there's heavy processing and genetic modification they go to get um you know just a large amount of meat available and just make the process efficient and i think the nutritional aspect is also um pretty common um mm-hmm. i've looked at the different types of like milk compared to like cow mm-hmm. milk versus um like soy milk and actually nutrition wise they're pretty similar that the like the protein content specifically so i definitely think that there's you know a myth to um you have to eat meat to get protein and be strong and um and what would you say is the state of acceptance of plant-based meat in india and how is your organization planning to make it more meat mainstream see there's there's a difference between reality and uh, and the fact that people like to believe in right most people camouflage their desire to eat meat behind nutrition which is not the actual scene you know they like they eat it because they like it and let's let's face it food has become more of an element of taste than compulsion right we we become fanciful we want to eat different cuisines we want to eat different kinds of uh, food items etc so it's become a little bit of a fad out there to keep experimenting with food and we believe that we need to change that mindset not by asking people to stop eating meat but actually telling them that the alternatives are far better as nutritious and as tasty so to that effect a couple of projects that the india animal fund is actually supporting one is called the plant based food industries association which is actually a collective body industry body of all organizations that produced some kind of a plant based food or the other so it could be in the meat section it could be in the foods it could be in even uh, you know stuff like cheese and butter and so on so forth they're all plant based right so that's an organization that stands up for all the companies that operate in that space and the idea is to promote them have a single voice you know take legislation changes to the government and so on and so forth and another project that we are working very closely with is called pans actually the physicians association of for nutrition which uh, you will be surprised nikita as would be your listeners to know that the entire the, the education for medicine to become a doctor does not have a paper on nutrition there is nothing called as diet in that entire thing it's always been you know reactive to a situation rather than preventive right mm. so so the pan pan what it tries to do is actually educates the medical fraternity on the missing elements of nutrition that they don't pick up as part of their degrees so the pan is going to be working closely with medical college students established doctors and then working with them to work on their patients to see how a good diet can actually we start supporting or reversing a lot of disease control so these are two important uh, projects mm-hmm. apart from that we also have 
uh, an organization that is actually focusing on encouraging substitutes in the space. Like, for example, there are many, many alternates to leather, and these are not polypropylene and polystyrene leather, not born out of plastic, but actually born out of plant, which sort of replaces and changes the game of animal skin for bags and shoes and belts altogether. Similarly, there are tissues that are being developed that are equivalent to animal tissues, which mm. stops you from using live animals for testing in labs and actually moves it to simulated tissue that reduces animal suffering tremendously. So these are these are ways and means of you know replacing animals with alternates. Mm, yeah, and I think just generally, I have like focus on nutrition regarding plant-based meats. Interesting. I've so far seen mainly environmental arguments saying that you should just be more environmentally conscious. But the fact that um, you're focusing on nutrition, I think can create a more long-term change in mindset, not something that maybe just um, depending on trends. And um, I totally agree with you about what you said about like motivation behind purchasing meat. I'd actually done um, a survey on just the Gen Z in India, how willing they would be to purchase plant-based meat. And I actually found that the top like criteria for them was taste and they said they want that to be if that is mimicked then they would actually they would be willing to try plant-based meat so um yeah I think that's really interesting and the main I think the main like obviously the main purpose is also combating animal suffering in the dairy industry and just livestock so can you give us more insight into animal agriculture and the reality of large-scale factory farming which I believe IAF is also has projects for yeah, before that, I should just comment on the point you made about people willing to switch if they could feel the same taste, right? Mm-hmm. It's actually ironical because if you pick up meat in its raw form, it has no taste. What adds taste to it are actually all the plant-based items you add to that food, right? Oh, Whether it's, right? Whether it's, except salt. Everything else is plant-based. Your oils are plant-based. Your, your, your masalas, if you add them, they are plant-based. All the spices, your chilies. You can't do that without anything that is plant. That's what actually adds flavor. So mm-hmm. people mistake that. Right? If you remove, if you say, I don't want to eat a plant-based food, and you remove everything that goes into making your chicken tikka, you can't eat. No, right. right? There are, there's also like technology to mimic the texture as well, because many people want the same like, yeah, 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 te- yeah, texture. So anyway, so we just come back to this, right? Uh, or the question that you asked about saying animal farming and what its perils are, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The first point I think which people must remember, and most people don't, you know, sort of imagine or understand the magnitude of what we're talking about, right? We are about 8 billion people on the planet, even assuming that 5 billion eat meat regularly. What we need to have stock, considering that a chicken is slaughtered after six weeks, you know, you need to have stocks on the planet to have continuous supply of meat for people, right? Which means there are anywhere between 40 to 60 billion animals kept in livestock, right? They are in various ages, so they sort of mature along the slaughter curve. But 40 to 50 billion animals kept in livestock actually means that they've got to be fed tons and tons of food. Now, if you said you picked up these 40, 50 billion animals and you said, if I need to grow food for them, I actually need to take over forest land. So it starts there. You destroy forest only because you want to grow plant-based food for the animals you want to eat. Mm -hmm. So that's your first starting point. 
Now, these acres and acres and acres of land that you destroy, forest land that you destroy, destroying your biodiversity, is drastically impacting global climate change because you're, you're upsetting everything that comes in the line. And then because you removed all of these and you ran out of water, you actually now need to create more water sources to water these plants that you're growing for food. So now you've not only destroyed land first, now you're going to touching water as well, right? And mm -hmm. then the lands, the, the food you grow is somewhere else. The animals that you're you know, keeping in livestock are somewhere else. You know, moving food through a long process and therefore burning more fuel to get there. And then you process the meat. It doesn't come without excessive use of water. Estimates are that if you picked up a kilo of potato and you picked up a kilo of meat, you're using something like 40 extra of water just to process the food to reach it to your table. So at every stage of this entire journey, you're destroying the environment. That's one facet of what we do mm -hmm. with the animals. And, right? The second, when you've got 40 billion animals, it actually means that you're keeping animals in very, very short, confined spaces. Right? Right. If you go to a poultry farm and anywhere in the world, a typical chicken, a hen, needs the equivalent of about six A4 sheets to spread out her wings. Six A4 sheets. Right, mm. but in the that, that just just to spread the wing, not to walk around, not to move, not to give a nice jolly dance, metal, just to spread her wing, the wingspan. And, but these birds are actually kept for weeks together in less than an A4 size space, which means they actually grow up with cramped muscles. They are fed excessively to grow their weight so that they can fetch more money when they're slaughtered. So the thumb rule that we show them is that chicken are actually grown to double their weight in half the time, which means the body is not able to withstand the weight of the animal. So they are often crippled. What all this means is that you're actually consuming meat that is going through so much of stress. Imagine a bird six weeks not able to spread her wings and those cramped muscles and those cramped tensions, right? right? Then these birds attack each other and they sort of start pecking on each other because there is frustration, there is no space, there is a fight. And they hurt each other. So there are diseases that come because of that. And we ignore that impact on human society. We don't want to, we don't want to open up to the reason why a bird flu or a swine flu exists. Right? While the, the jury is still undecided on the mm. cause of COVID, we all know that zoonotic diseases come out of the wet meat markets. Right? So we're creating so much of trouble for animals and for ourselves, simply because we are exceedingly populating the world of animals for food and decreasing resources that we need for all of us to survive on this planet. Yeah, right. I think I had read that with the birds uh, pecking each other, they're sometimes even de-beaked, so they don't, they can't do that. And Yeah, it's not sometimes, Nikita, it's always oh, because, yeah. yeah, so because they need to be kept away from pecking each other, they're all within days of being born, so they are debeaked, so they can't hurt each other. That also means they can't pluck and eat food the normal way. Therefore, they are given food that is manipulated for that purpose, so that you eat with a blunt beak, right? And, and it's, not, it's not sometimes. It's, it's, it is the norm. It is an SOP for them to do, just as much as it's an SOP for them to grind male chicks within a day they are born because they serve no purpose. No, I said, I'm just, we're just talking about one industry, the poultry industry. Then you touch dairy, mm. the, the kind of uh, stuff that we do there, the kind of drugs we use to induce hormones that can create, secrete more milk, the way cows are being today artificially inseminated to you know, breed. We just, we just, I mean, we are endlessly 
you know corrupting that environment we are endlessly abusing them so much because human greed has become just so overpowering that everything else seems insignificant yeah i've seen like pictures of you know the battery cages were just they're just stored in rows it seems it seems horrible and um you talked a bit about you know zoonotic diseases and can you elaborate maybe on the health risks that humans and also the slaughterhouse workers they face during um the meat production and the dairy farming industry i i think the two facets of uh, health impact on let's say uh, let's start with the slaughter workers right one is of course the the mental trauma that they go through it's a myth to think that they enjoy the slaughter they don't most of them do it because it's livelihood for them right and there are so many cases of people retiring early coming out and having nightmares going through therapies and so on and so forth it's not easy for you to slaughter an animal day in and day out and watch the blood flow and be happy about it right it does take you uh, human stress on people it's as as simple as people working in deep mines or people working in cement factories they all go through it simply because they don't have a choice nobody enjoys doing that that's the that's the mental impact the physical impact on all of this is about saying what is the food that we are eating right it's both physics physiological and physical right that food that you eat is no longer normal meat you are using you are eating something that is induced with hormones in, in, completely infested is the word i would use with antibiotics because they need to keep diseases away from these animals and all of these animals have become so so importantly dependent on all of these that what you are consuming is a high dose of antibiotics that were actually meant for the animals which means your own resistance to antibiotics is rapidly coming down and you don't realize it just why we are seeing a massive increase in the kind of diseases and illnesses that are impacting us perhaps 50 years back when we were probably more resistant to the right kind of antibiotics covid may not have happened right mm. now now you are not able to resist something that's actually you know symbolic of a flu but we made it it's become so big that the whole world is now sitting up and saying listen i need to be cautious and i need to wear a mask which is all in my opinion you know is all after the fact the fact is that you've created a laboratory out there a factory out there that is not just producing animals but also producing different virus forming you know, of what is that word permutations which are sort of invading us and we are slowly waking up to the reality of the frequency of these diseases and the magnitude of how they are actually hitting us right and for just like promoting the cruelty free a uh, change in mindset can you tell us a bit more about your vegan outreach program and anything else your organization is doing in this area well we firmly believe that if you need to move towards reducing animal suffering we need to look at reducing the animals that are abused for all that we do right so it starts with educating people and saying why would you want to kill an animal if your objective end objective is to just stay healthy and nutritious well well uh, covered right so the idea is to reach out to students youngsters in colleges and create this awareness right you spoke about that being people are not even aware you know there have been so many people that have spoken to and i tell them don't you feel sad when you see those dozens of chicken that are actually lying you know dangling upside down from a cycle bar as they are moved from a truck to a slaughter place mm, yeah. they failed to realize that that was cruelty it's become such a blind spot so the idea of reaching out to these organizations i mean through these organizations is to educate people make them understand what animal suffering is why we need to arrest it and why it is not good for them and not stopping there but saying what is good for you 
So we're not only giving out the problem statement, we're also giving them a solution to this. And the idea of all of this is to actually challenge them. Then, you know, take a 21-day plan. Take the challenge. Try it for 21 days. See how you feel about the food. See how your body reacts. See what you experience because you're going through a massive transformation, detoxifying yourself. And then see how the response to your body and your mental state is. And the kind of reactions that we get are phenomenal, you know. Anywhere between 25-30% actually stay on. They don't, they don't treat it as a temporary challenge and go back to their whole life. Some of them are resistant, but a lot of them suddenly realize. But the journey starts. Nobody has ever gone back and said, I didn't learn something from it. Some of them do it slowly. Some of them do it almost instantly. So these programs are intended to create awareness, give people the support they need to make this transition, stay the course for a few days so they get used to it, and then see how we can get them to extend that beyond that. Yeah, definitely. I feel like, yeah, I think lack of awareness is the main problem. Um, and, you know, I feel like so many, it also differs between like animal to animal and how mainstream they are. I feel like maybe if there's an animal like a panda, people would be more empathetic towards them. But, you know, for just pigs and cows and chickens, there's more, there's a lack of more awareness about the suffering they go through. So I think that's... Um, <laughs> what your organization is doing is really important. And um, this is just another aspect of animal suffering, which I thought, you know, was interesting is animal science and using them in laboratory experiments. Uh, I was wondering to what extent is animal testing actually useful for humans and for science? Well, it is said that if, if the, the results of what we go through on animals actually made an impact on humans, one of us is unnecessary in the whole process. Either we don't need to consume those drugs or the animals don't need to be tested upon. Right? There, are, there are hundreds of cases of where, where drugs have been tested on animals and supposedly cleared but failed on humans. Right? Okay. And drugs that actually failed on animals but still made it to the market a good example of that would be your very, very simple aspirin, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's a fact that it failed tests, but they compelled it into the market situation. The aspirin is virtually an indispensable part of many people's lives, right? Mm -hmm. What uh, and there are there are enough organizations. We've spoken to a lot of organizations. It could be doctors, it could be research scientists, it could be working in pharma companies. That the redundancy of testing on animals is just more and more prevalent today, right? It started in an era when you did not have science to support it. You did not have technology to support it. You, you had to go virtually doing that physically on the most vulnerable to test them on, right? Because no man would come forward and be willing to put his finger or his head on trial, right? Mm -hmm. But the redundancy of testing on animals is all too evident. And I think slowly, Country after country is opening up to the fact that they're sort of beginning to ban testing on animals or abolish certain kinds of tests, which is good to go. On the other side, it is a fact that you need to be testing. You can't be rolling out a drug that's going to impact people at mass and go through those troubles of uh, after effects. Therefore, they need to be. But the good news is that again, R and D and innovative spirit of humankind has come forward. There are simulated tissues that are available that give you the same qualities of the same attributes that you need to be testing on human tissue, not just animal tissue. So you can actually test it on that. You can mm -hmm. do simulators. 
there are plenty of technologies that are emerging and one of our motives is to identify some of these startups some of these technologies and see how we can support them to scale so that we are rapidly able to replace animals with these artificially produced issues in these laboratories yeah i think i'd seen some like organ on a chip and some silico models for alternatives uh and yeah, I agree with you about the redundant, redundancy of experiments. I know when I was like studying psychology, I saw a lot of experiments that were conducted on animals, but I didn't really understand the value they were providing to humans. It just seemed um, unnecessary in that end. And um, I mean, like you said, animal suffering extends to um, there are many. It's very widespread. And one of the angles is also community angles, which uh, animals, which I wanted to briefly touch on. So can you elaborate on the Great Indian Adoption Program and also your national animal helpline number? Yeah, it's the Great Indian Breed Adoption. The, the, The idea behind the Great Indian Breed is to actually give our, what we call loosely as stray dogs, street dogs, homeless dogs. And if you understand Hindi or Tamil, it goes the word Desi Kutta and Terunai and so on and so forth, right? We call it everything, but give it a pride, a dignity of place. So we wanted to bring that dignity to these guys, which is why we call them all collectively the great Indian breed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we believe that there's only two ways to arrest uh, the animal population on the street. One is to aggressively push for birth control, which is the animal birth control program, ABC. And the other one is to see how we can take more and more of these dogs off the streets and into homes. Right? I believe in this motto of a dog in every home and a home for every dog. Mm. Right? And because one, India always loved its dogs. They were always having a pride of place. They were inside of homes. People loved them. They were very, very part of families and societies. But then we went through a massive journey where we had new breeds coming into the country. When the British came, they brought in their Labradors, they brought in their Golden Retrievers. And India started taking a fancy for these breeds, like we took a fancy for all things imported and fine, right? And to, but to the effect that we started degrading the quality and the status of our Indian dogs. So we wanted to restore that. We wanted people to recognize that they are as good as any of the other dogs, if not better, because they're actually well suited for Indian climatic conditions than, than a pug or a husky or a, you know any of the fancy mastiffs and so on and so forth. So we're driving adoption of the Great Indian Breed. We set up a platform called greatindianbreed.dog. And the idea is there for rescuers to come and post pictures of the puppies or cats and kittens and dogs they have rescued and promote people to come onto the website and start adopting them like you would do anywhere else. Right? On the other side, we are also working with organizations uh, like the HSI Human Society International, the PFA and so on and so forth to see how we can start arresting illegal breeding happening in this country pretty rampantly. So how do you go after these people who do backyard uh, uh, breeding reduce the suffering of those animals kept there for breeding, reduce the health issues that these puppies have because of, you know, completely wrong techniques, wrong medication, etc. And to reduce the number of animals that suffer in the wrong hands and in the wrong climatic conditions. So one side is the demand side, the other side is the supply side. The national helpline on the other side is very different. It's based on the premise that when you see an animal in suffering, when an accident victim or abuse is you don't know what to do. Most people care, but most people don't know what to do after that, right? So the idea is to create a number that people can remember that they could call out and report 
and the animal helpline platform is designed to bring in volunteers and organizations and rescuers into the fold so we can geotag an animal pass it on to the right volunteer closest to the animal and see if we can reduce animal suffering by just ensuring that they get timely aid most animals die because they did not get help at the right time so the idea here is to create that mesh of people who would support and help an animal by bringing in technology that will help us geotag volunteers to animals and reach them there right it, it that comes out of a simple again human learning right today when you order food mm. you know exactly where it was picked up where it is right now when it could be delivered we do that for a 150 rupee meal pack all we need to do is do that for a life that can be put down in number values yeah i think uh, i mean the great indian adoption program i think that's great program and also your helpline i think like the common thing i'm noticing is that you're really creating accessibility and being very transparent with the information to the public um like even for your alternatives and solutions you're directly engaging with people just so they themselves can become aware without it so i think that transparency and just information you're providing um to the common public i think that's really great and your recent launch also you know i noticed it saw messages from several celebrities from india and around the world i just wanted to ask what your opinion and experience is on you know the role of celebrities in amplifying these types of causes why well, i'm really really thankful and grateful to all of these celebrities who almost spontaneously said yes to coming on to the show because they all believed in the causes and they all believed that we were doing the right thing and also because we were doing things that were very close to their heart mm-hmm. and 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 these celebrities have a large play role to play right there are so many people who see them as role models they are inspired by the things they do especially the the more popular you become the more uh, famous you become and yet you find time to care for an animal you want to pick up a dog that is injured you want to talk about animal abuse amidst all your shooting and your sports matches and all of that i think goes a long way to people to realize that they all can do their bit irrespective of their hectic schedules and other preoccupations etc so the role model helps the other way celebrities also help is you remember when a celebrity says something if it's your favorite celebrity and you heard him or her say something that is important to them you also realize that it establishes that connect between you and the celebrity on a different platform and that changes the dynamics of how people remember a message and then when the right time comes they sort of recall that and they start acting accordingly so i am a great believer in the power of the right celebrities with the right message i wouldn't use a celebrity randomly i don't think it's about using a celebrity but yeah. extremely cautious about the right celebrity for the right noise yeah definitely i've seen uh, i've seen you know several uh, celebrities support a vegan diet and also plant based companies so i think there's definitely a role they play in making it more mainstream as well and um i finally just wanted to ask like how can our listeners help iaf's mission and any website links information links that we can help out with just let us know and we'll uh, have them in the description oh i would i would like them to help us in three ways and not just help us i think the first help they should do more than helping the india animal fund is to help animals wherever you are mm-hmm. we are about helping animals we are not about saying help animals through us right please find your own call find your local organization that is helping animals find the local volunteer or find an animal in your vicinity that needs help 
and be willing to accept that as your responsibility and do what you can to reduce animal suffering. The second is, if you would like us to do this at speed and scale, encourage more people to get into the space, please drop into indiaanimalfund.org. indiaanimalfund.org. You will find all the initiatives that we are taking up. You will find a lot of information on what we should do to reduce animal suffering. You will see notes on the projects that we are undertaking. And of course, you could choose a product or an animal or a cause of your choice and support us with your contributions on a regular basis or a one-time basis. You will start getting details on how your money is being spent. You will have proof of how it's impacting the life of animals and it will make you feel good about how your role what are the responsibilities you have taken to help us in this cause so that's the second way you could help and the third is please talk about it talk about animal abuse talk about what organizations like india animal fund and a host of other lovely organizations and people do just create awareness i think everything else will fall in place if you can be the voice i think we can be heard more often and more over a long larger geography and larger footprint Yeah and I hope our listeners feel uh just inspired by this discussion and the work that your organization is doing and I mean just thank you so much this has been really an insightful discussion I learned a lot about animal suffering but also tangible solutions to it and how we can create more awareness and uh just effectively use our resources to combat it so I wanted to thank you so much for your time again I uh, really appreciate you coming in My pleasure. Thank you so much and thank you for this platform and opportunity to talk to your listeners. I hope they will make the change and help us in this journey. Thank you.